All right, good morning. Welcome to uh, week four of the story. Uh, for those of you that are, are just joining us, um, we're walking through this book. It is called The Story. It is uh, abridged chronological segments taken directly from the NIV. Uh, it is not meant to replace your Bibles. It's meant to be a resource to go along with your Bibles to help show you the big picture of the story of God. Uh, we have these resources. They are free for you. So if you're here with us for the first time this morning, I want to let you know uh, these are available to you. At this point, we've handed out about 500 copies of this book, and we're going to keep handing them out as long as people want to take them. Uh, and, and we, you know, hear me, uh, honestly, people, we have, we, we've got people come in for We Care, and they say, can I have one of these? Absolutely. Even if they don't show up here on Sunday, if they're reading the story, if they're getting Scripture... Uh, that, that's, a, that's a great thing. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And we do realize that uh, over the course of this study, we've picked up several new folks, new faces. Uh, but we don't know all of you. And so we do want to ask if you do us a favor in the pew rack in front of you. There's just a, a, a card that lets us know who you are. And so if you would make sure we have at least one of those on you, it's going to be so helpful to us as we are sending out weekly emails to remind you what to read, to let you know what's going on in the church. Those things are important. So we've got to have good contact information on you. If you're looking for that card in the P-Rack, it says welcome at the top. Okay, it looks a little bit like that. And so we would greatly appreciate you to fill that out. So uh, your job every week as we work through the story is you are to read a chapter before you come. And so it is week four, which means you were supposed to read chapter four, right? Chapter four. That is the beginning of the story of Moses. And uh, how many of you this week were able to get all your reading done? Show of hands. Wow, you guys are awesome. Maybe I should do, I, I, did I miss any? I, I think that was almost everybody. That is phenomenal. Uh, you're also supposed to be talking about it with your spouse, with your family, with your children. How'd that go this week? How many of you were able to talk about the story with your family at some point this week? Okay, a little less there, folks, a little less. We've got we to gotta pick that one up a little bit. And, and then we also want you, of course, uh, to be participating in a small group, but also to be inviting other people to join you in the story. As God speaks to your heart, we want you to, to be reaching out to others. So how many of you would say, hey, I talked to somebody about the story this week and invited them to join me? One, two, three, four. Hey, that's almost ten. All right, that's, that's, that's you know, yeah, uh-huh. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, like 10%. We can do better. All right, so uh, next week, next week you're going to blow me away on that third question, right? Like, I, there are going to be so many people here, we're not even going to know what to do. So a uh, lot of ground to cover, chapter 4 of the story. Uh, it was about 15 pages for you guys. It's about 17 chapters out of the book of Exodus, so we have a lot of ground to cover. Join me in a word of prayer before we dive in, okay? Father, um, we are so thankful for um, your story. That's what it is. Uh, some other people call it his story or history, uh, but uh, it's all yours. As we learned last week, you are always over us, working for good. And this is your story of not just creation, but our fall, of your plan for redemption, of how you're bringing us back. And we're beginning to see that plan unfold now. And I thank you for the picture of deliverance we find in the Exodus. I pray that you would speak to our hearts about that Holy Spirit um, we want to step aside now and invite you to come and to be our teacher this morning. Would you please come and exalt Jesus, that he might draw us closer unto himself. We ask these things, we pray these things in Jesus' holy, powerful, and precious name. Amen. Amen. 
So last week we left off with Joseph, the chosen son uh, whose brothers sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt and through nothing short of a bunch of God events, he becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, really all of the world. Remember, the, the famine hits the world, the brothers come, the family is reunited, and it feels so good. And uh, Jacob, uh, Joseph's dad, also known as Israel, moves his entire family to Egypt where they live and they prosper and they grow greatly. Now this week we, met, we meet our next character um, in this second movement of the story. If you've got your timelines here, we're in this kind of a bluish section And uh, we've talked about Abraham, we've talked about Joseph. Now we're going to focus on this third character, and his name is Moses. And we're going to spend about three weeks together talking about the life of Moses because it's really central to this movement. Uh, Remember, this is the second movement. We have the story of the garden, and the second movement is the story of Israel. And uh, we've got these slides to remind you what the story of Israel is all about. Uh, In this section of this story, God builds a brand new nation called Israel. And through this nation, he's going to reveal his presence, his power, and his plan to get us back. And the really important part, every story of Israel points to the first coming of Jesus the one who will provide the way back to God. And here is what's uh, going on. Joseph and all of his brothers have died. The Pharaoh who made him um, second in command has has died. And uh, a new Pharaoh comes into power and he immediately sees a problem. There are so many Israelites in Egypt that if they realize it, they could take over the country. And so this, this new Pharaoh enslaves all of Israel, and he is extremely harsh about it. He is ruthless, and the harder he works them, the more they increase in number. His plan's not working. He orders the midwives then to say, uh, take every boy, it's population control, and, uh, and put them to death. Midwives don't feel comfortable with it, they don't do it. Uh, they come back and say, listen, these Israelite women, they're, just, they're better than the Egyptians. They just do it all on their own. Amazing. So then, then Pharaoh comes up with this extremely cruel command. And it really serves two purposes. It's the population control, but the other side of it is really the idol worship of Egypt. He says, take every boy and throw them into the Nile as a sacrifice. See, they worship several river gods or Nile gods, and this would be a sacrifice unto them. And, and so uh, that's what's going on. And there in the midst of that, uh, we find a, a Levite couple. And you say, Levite couple? I thought we were talking about the Israelites. We are. Uh, remember, this is one of the tribes, uh, Levi. And uh, so there's a couple from this tribe of Levi, and they have a child. And the mom looks at the child, this beautiful baby boy, and she can't do it. She cannot throw her baby into the Nile. And so she hides him. She hides him as long as she can, about three months, until he's just too big. And everybody can tell that he's not a girl at this point, okay? Everybody can tell he's not a girl at this point. And that's when the mom kind of comes up with a scheme. She takes a basket and she makes it into a boat. And she places this basket boat in the Nile at a time that that Pharaoh's daughter is known to bathe. And she sends her her, her daughter, uh, the older sister of uh, this little baby, to kind of follow at a distance. And the basket makes its way down to uh, 
Pharaoh's daughter who is bathing there. And she, she hears the cries of the baby. She sees the basket. She sees the baby. She has great compassion. She sees the girl and, and, and the girl who's actually the sister of the baby says, would, would you like me to go find somebody to nurse this baby for you? So she goes back and gets her mom. The mother of the, the child actually gets to nurse him and help raise him until a point. And she goes to her dad and she says, hey dad, hey Pharaoh, uh, listen, this baby, and he's so cute. And, and, and Pharaoh must have thought, what harm can one little Israelite boy do? <laughs> and so Pharaoh's daughter names the baby Moses. It means to be drawn up from the water. And Moses is raised in the palace as Egyptian royalty, and he gets the best education, and he's got the finest lifestyle, but Moses always has an inner conflict. Everybody sees him as royalty, but he knows the truth. He knows that he's an Israelite. And this conflict goes on within him, and as he grows up and gets older, he is faced with a critical decision. Hebrews 11 talks about it like this. It says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There came a time that he, he decided, I, I cannot be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That is not who I am. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. And so one day as he is out um, watching his people, the Israelites' work, he sees one of them being harshly mistreated by an Egyptian slave master. Listen to this. Scripture says this, Exodus 2.12, page 44 of your story. It says, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment. This isn't a point. This is good pastoral advice, okay? Any point in life that you catch yourself looking over your shoulder to see if anybody's looking, stop. Just stop. Because what's about to happen isn't going to end well for you, okay? And it could have consequences that last 40 years in the case of Moses or longer. That, that little sin that, that he thought no one else could see uh, is the same as all sin. It never stays secret. And, and the next day, uh, he finds out that there, there's some of his people, the Israelites, that knew that he killed this Egyptian. So Pharaoh finds out, tries to kill Moses. Moses runs for his life and he ends up in Midian where he helps some daughters of a priest. That scores him a wife, and uh, he becomes a shepherd. He's got a wife, he's got a new life, and he spends 40 years as a shepherd, kind of roaming the desert, until one day God shows up and he speaks to him out of a burning bush. Now, guys, this is where the story gets good. And this is where the story gets good because it is here that God begins to reveal a bit more about himself. You see, we learned last week that this God that we're studying, it's his story, this God never leaves his children, right? He never forsakes them. And we learn not only is he always with us, but he's also always above us working for good. But that's really all we know about this God so far. He made the world. He, he loves us. We're his crowning creation. He's always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always above us working for our good. But that's kind of all we know about him at this point until this moment where God begins to reveal himself to Moses in a way that he did not fully reveal himself to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. And it's in that revelation, I think, that we find the meat of our text 
this morning. And so we're going to walk through this revelation as God continues this story and what we learn about the character of God. Look at what God says to Moses, Exodus 3, 7 and 8, page 46 of your story. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. The first thing I want you to see about this God is He reveals Himself to us. We find it in that first comment. This God, our God, hears the cries of His children and He always answers them in His perfect time. God hears the cries of His children and He always answers them in His perfect time. And somebody here this morning needs to hear this, right? Hear me, please. Don't stop crying out to God. Don't stop crying out to God. God is good, right? He's a good God. He sees you. He knows you. He is concerned about you. He is not cruel. He will not let you suffer unjustly. But some seasons of suffering serve a greater purpose. I'm going to say that again. Some seasons of suffering serve a greater purpose. Israel had to remain in Egypt for a time to grow and to increase. And their suffering actually aided their increase. Did you notice that? The harder that they are worked, the more they produce children. Not bricks. Children, my friends. guess there was nothing else to do when they got home after a long, hard day of work. think every guy here got me, right? Y'all wrote that down. Just when you come home tomorrow, just say, gosh, it's been such a hard, long day of work. Just say that. You stretch out in the kitchen, see how that goes for you. <clears throat> Half of you are going to try it. I know you guys. These things had to happen in order for them to grow, to be prepared for the promised land that was coming. You see, God wasn't absent. God hadn't turned His back on them. Sometimes we feel that way when we're suffering. But the truth is, God's never absent. He doesn't turn His back on us. God was actually with them. He was sustaining them. He was over them. And He, the entire time, was working for good. He was listening to them, and He was preparing a response. A rescue that would come at just the right time. So God says, Moses, I've heard your people cry out in Egypt. I have seen them suffer. I'm concerned about them, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to come down, Moses, and I'm going to rescue them. And Moses is like, yes, yes. And then God says, and I'm going to use you to do it. And he's like, no, no. Please, God, someone else. By the way, a lot of times when we pray for deliverance or help, 
pray for somebody else's situation. God, would you just, would you, would you do something to change my, my, my situation at work? Or would you do something to, to reach my children or to reach my sister? And sometimes God says, yes, I've heard your cries and I'm going to come down and I'm going to fix your marriage. I'm going to come down and I'm going to fix that situation with your children. I'm going to come down and I'm going to change your whole job structure. And, and we're like, yes. And then he says, and I'm going to use you to do it. How God works. So he says that to Moses. And Moses, after saying, yes, God, is like, now, no, God. And, and, and he begins to try to make excuses, right? And his first question wait a second, God, who am I that you would pick me to do such a task? I mean, I can't even speak. And surely there's going to be some public speaking involved. I mean, I'd rather be in the coffin than give him the eulogy. Come on, Lord. Can't do that. And I just, I just want to save you guys. I'm going to save you literally years of your life, Okay. Some of you are thinking, I don't have that many years left. Trust me. I mean, because we fight the same fight with God all the time, don't we? God calls us to something. We say, God, I can't do it. God, I'm not equipped for it. God, I, I, don't, I don't know enough. God, don't you know my background? God, they're not going to listen to me. God, there's no way that, that, you, that you could use me for such a holy, great task. I mean, come on, look at me. I'm, 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 not, I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. There's no way that you could use me to bring about that amount of good that you want to do. And we have these arguments with God all the time. But folks, here's the truth of it. God always equips those he calls. Amen. Always. God always equips those he calls. So it's, it's a pointless argument, what I'm saying to you. I just freed up hours and hours and hours and days and days and days and months and months and months of your life. Just stop fighting with God. Because if he calls you to it, he will equip you for it. Again, that's just free. That's not a point this morning. So God reminds Moses of that. He offers up Aaron as a helper. And Moses asks one more big question. He says, okay, you've answered who I am. Let me ask you one more question. When I go to these people, who do I tell them you are? Who are you, God? Who are you? And, and that's where God says something really cool. It's Genesis 3.14, page 46 of your story. God says to Moses, I am. He actually says, I am who I am. I am. I am. That's who I am. You just go tell them the I am sent you, the Lord. At another point, he will say, I am sent you. Now, I want to go back just for a second because we see Jesus sprinkled all throughout this story. And you may remember in the story of the garden, right, when God promised that a son would come that would crush the head of the antagonist, that would crush the head of the serpent. You guys remember that? And we kind of thought aloud, and you guys, I shared with you, this son is going to come from, from Leah, okay? He's going to come from the tribe of Judah. But we kind of wonder, like, who, 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 whose, whose son is this, Right? It's really cool because Jesus, at one point in John uh, chapter 8, is, uh, is, is asked a question. And it's the same question. Who are you? Who do you think you are to do all these things that you're doing? I love his answer. He's very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. We see that sprinkling. Who is, who is this son going to be? He's going to be God. That's who he's going to be. He's going to be I am. And so... Moses goes and he shows the people all the signs that God gives him. God gives him three signs to turn water to blood and the, uh, the staff into a snake and, and his arm leprous and not. And he goes and he shows them the signs. And, uh, and then he goes to Pharaoh and he says, God says, let my people go. Now, Pharaoh has changed again at this point. Scholars believe at this point that the, the, the current Pharaoh now that Moses goes to, he was probably raised with. It's probably, I mean, he can't really be a half-brother because he's, he's 
you know, fully Israelite, but he was probably raised kind of in that sense as a stepbrother kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, and so he goes to him, and, uh, and, and, and he says, let my people go. That's what God says. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do it. In fact, not only am I not going to do it, but here's how angry I am with you. I'm going to give your people the same amount of work, but they're not going to have the materials to do it anymore. They get to go collect their own straw. And the Israelites are crushed. They're like, Wait, well, what a great man you are, Moses. Such a leader. Thanks, you've just made life tougher. Of course, the harder they work, the more children they have. Hard day of work, honey. So stressful. It's a tough day. It's going to be a tough day tomorrow, isn't it? Tough day, man. You can feel it coming, can't you? Tough day. This begins a series of times that Moses is going to appear before Pharaoh each time. Same message from God, let my people go. Each time Pharaoh is going to say no, that will be followed by a plague. There's nine of them that lead up to the ultimate plague, right? First, the Nile is turned to blood, then there's frogs, and then there's gnats, and then there's flies, and then all of the Egypt's uh, livestock dies. Then there's boils uh, covering the people. Then there's the hail that ruins the crops, and there's the locust that eats up what remains each time Pharaoh waffles and kind of says yes, and they know, and never lets them go until the tenth plague. And it's going to be the most devastating. Exodus eleven four through 6, page 50 of the story. So Moses said, this is what the Lord said. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill. And all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. Now the Israelites are going to be saved from this angel of death because each of... uh, each family is going to slaughter a, a, a spotless or a blameless lamb, Exodus 12, 7. So then they are to take some of the blood and they're to put it on the sides, here and here, right? And, and the top of the doorframe, here. So here and here and here. And they're going to sprinkle the blood of the lamb in these three places, uh, and and, and uh, at, at all the houses, right? And, and then they're going to eat a meal with this lamb. Uh, that meal's going to include some unleavened bread. It, they're not supposed to spend time to let it rise. Actually, they're supposed to gird up their loins, to tuck in their cloaks, to be ready for action, to be ready to go. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and God says this, and we're going to call this Passover, and then he instructs his children, I'm about to do something so great. You're going to celebrate this meal every single year. Every single year, you're going to look back to this time of deliverance, this time that death passed you over. And every year, you're going to celebrate it with this blood and with this lamb. Every year. Okay? So he, he establishes what's a lasting ordinance for them until, uh, well, later in the story. So night falls, the angel of death comes, and all of the firstborn males in Egypt are dead. And you can hear the horror. We don't have a ton, I think maybe half and half in men here this morning, maybe a few more women than men. If you're here today and you are a firstborn male, would you just stand up? You're the firstborn male of your family. Would you just stand up? Include me. Would be my dad. Uh, 
Just look around for a second. Just think about the lives and the impact that that would have. You guys can go ahead and sit down. That's huge. That's what happened in Egypt. And there was great mourning and wailing. It was a horrific sight. So Pharaoh finally says, get out. Get out. The Egyptians want no more. In fact, they actually give possessions, uh, their possessions to the Israelite to leave. And uh, as they're leaving, something happens. Something kind of pops in their mind. They go, oh my gosh, who's going to build stuff for us? We just lost our whole workforce. And suddenly their, their grief turns into anger and they pursue them. An army of Egyptians hem them in. The Israelites are now trapped by the Red Sea at their back. And the Lord says to Mo- Moses, I just want you to hold out your staff over, over the waters. And the waters split. And, and all of the Israelites, this is probably like two to three million people, cross over on dry ground, right? But I want you to see, this isn't just a crossing. This is actually a battle. If you're a member of First Baptist, you, you, you sense that, right? We're not just in the middle of a crossing, we're in the middle of a battle. And, 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 and this isn't just a crossing, it, it's a battle. And God says, don't worry about this army that surrounds you. This is Exodus 14, 14, page 54 of the story. He says, the Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. Now he didn't mean stop walking, okay, by the way. Right? Sometimes we hear that, we, we hear be still, and we think that means, well, i got to stop walking faithfully. i got to stop serving. i got to stop following God. No, it's not a call to stop following God. It's a call like saying, you, you need to keep following God, but you don't have to pick up a knife. All right? And, and so that's what's going on. So the Lord is going to fight for you. You need only to be still. So God's saying, don't worry about this army that surrounds you. I've, I've got this. And that's really the second big lesson we learn about this God, about His character. That this God fights for His children. This God fights for His children, and hear me, and He guards His glory. And the two are linked, which is good news for us. Which is good news for us, okay? God fights for His children, and He guards His glory. I don't know if you caught it in your reading, but three times in the text, God mentions His motivation. He says, I will gain glory. I will gain glory for myself. By, by standing in your defense, God gains glory. By fighting for you, God gains glory. By overcoming an evil army, a dire circumstance that you can't circumvent, God gains glory. He says, I will be glorified. An entire army is defeated that day without the Israelites lifting a sword. And this is good news for us. You remember, we are God's crowning creation. We are. We are the ones made in His image. And when God fights for us, He's sustaining His glory. He's saying, see my creation. These are my children whom I love, and you cannot harm them. You need only be still, God says. Just watch me work. God fiercely protects His children because they are loved by Him, and they are linked to His plan. They are linked to His plan. Friends, we are linked to the very plans of God. You need only be still, God says. Just watch me work. I wonder this morning, is there any area of your life that God is saying that same thing today? (laughs) You just need to be still and watch me work. Is there any area of your life today that you need to hear this message that God actually wants to fight on your behalf if you'll invite Him in? Maybe He's saying, hey, Lower your sword. Lower your sword. I've got this. Remember, Peter thought he had the answer. He was going to cut off the guy's ear. He was going to take as many of the guards down as he could. Jesus, lower your sword. 
There's, there's such a bigger fight going on than we ever realize. And God says, I've got that fight. I've got that fight. Now, we're never called to put away this sword, right? Never called to put away the sword of the Spirit. But, but, but when it comes to our physical exertion, trying to fight battles that only God can win, God says, would you let me get some glory here? <laughs> it's better for you, and it's part of my plan. Because when I do something in your life that can't be explained, other people are going to turn to me. Other people are going to turn to me. Now, from here on, God will guide his people uh, into the desert. Um, and though they continually complain, and their complaint always halts their progress, complaint always does that, it always halts our progress, uh, he's going to provide for them anyway. He's going to provide for their every need daily. They're going to have food. Um, they're going to have water. Uh, and, and there are so many pictures of Jesus here, right? Uh, think about the pillar cloud. Uh, from the day that they leave Egypt... And, and until the day that they're about to enter into the promised land, there's this great pillar cloud that, that, that leads them. It, it, it guides them. It goes before them. It keeps the sun from, from being on them, burning them up to death. And at night, it settles down amongst them. It's very cold in the desert. Settle down amongst them. It would glow with great light and provide warmth and security. People didn't want to touch them. They're like, whoa, what is that glowing thing over there? I'm going to stay away from those people. It marked them that they were the people of God. And later on, of course, in the New Testament, they'll celebrate this. They'll celebrate uh, this, this great story. And, and, and so they, they called it the, the, the festival or the Feast of Booths. And, uh, and they had this huge menorah in the city that would, would, would light the whole city aglow. And it's believed that Jesus, at the end of that great festival, one day will stand up and say, No, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world, right? You think about the manna. It falls from heaven. And just enough to eat for the day. When they tried to collect, because they're sneaky, I'll just get some for tomorrow so I can sleep in. And God's like, no, no, no. And it molds. They can never collect more than enough today. And, and, and Jesus' disciples says, how do we pray, Lord? And he says, this is how you pray. Give us today our daily bread. Right? And then and he tells them, let me tell you a story, by the way. I'm the true bread of life. Me. I'm God's manna. I'm what you need every single day. You need to spend time with me. But here's the last thing I want to leave you with. And it really sums up the whole story this morning. Ready? Okay. God delivers us from slavery to sin and death by becoming our perfect Passover lamb. This is the heart of the story of Exodus, right? This is, this is the thing, like if there's one thing you're supposed to walk away with and go, oh my gosh, you got it. This would be the thing. Right? This would be the thing, that God delivers us from slavery to sin and death by becoming our perfect Passover lamb. Somebody asked, what does the story of Exodus have to do with me? And the answer is everything. Everything, right? In John chapter 1, as Jesus is just kind of coming into public ministry, uh, John the Baptist, who's preparing the way uh, for him, sees him and says to his followers, uh, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That, that's what John says. This is the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The very first time that uh, Jesus um, walks into the synagogue to teach, very first time he teaches, okay? He opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he says this. This is out of Luke um, 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He says, 
Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, ready? Freedom for the prisoners. Okay? Freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed, that's the slaves, free. The slaves free. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus comes and uh, eventually, of course, that, that's when he began his ministry. He says that he begins his public ministry, which, which, which culminates with his death on the cross, his resurrection. And there on the cross, it, it, his blood, uh, the blood of the perfect Lamb of God is shed. Do you remember where they were supposed to put it on the door? Here and here and here. You remember maybe from reading scripture that his head is bleeding from being beaten from a crown of thorns, there's blood flowing. His hands are kneeled and pierced and the blood is here and it is here and it is here. And God is saying, see, I have sent you. Behold the Lamb. I have sent you the perfect Lamb. And anyone who believes in Him, listen to me, the penalty of sin, which is death, will pass over you. That's huge. That's huge. That's what this story is about. It's about deliverance from sin, from death, from the grasp of Satan. That's what Jesus will eventually do for us. So you've got to stay tuned for the rest of the story. How do we take this message home? What do we do with it? I'm going to give you a few things, okay? First and foremost, I want to challenge you to worship while you're waiting for a new season. Worship while you're waiting for a new season. All right. I know, I, I know this, this is, this is a, lot, a lot of women, men too, but for different reasons. Men like fall because they get to kill animals and eat meat, all right? That's a totally different reason, right? But women, uh, you got, how, how, many, how many of you here today would just say fall is my favorite season? That's it? Like, like 10 of you? I was going to say, it's because you live in Texas and you don't really know what fall is. Uh, where there is fall, it's awesome. But in Texas, there's this kind of interesting epidemic, right? The calendar says it's fall and it's still 91 degrees, right? And fall is here and, 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 and people that love fall are ready to get out their decorations and they're ready to drink their pumpkin spice lattes, but they can't because it's 91 degrees. And so it says it's fall, but the season has not truly arrived and you wait with anticipation during this time of year. Come on, Lord, it is October. When is that first cool front, God? I'm ready. I'm ready to wake up when it's 60 degrees and it to cap off at 71. Come on, Lord, bring me fall. I'm ready for all six days of it. Right? And we, we long for that season. Listen, you can long for that season, but don't forsake the days that will come until it happens. God has a new season in store for you. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't worship Him in the season you find yourself in. And some of us find ourselves in pretty tough seasons right now. I want you to see this. This is really cool. Alan talked about this on Wednesday night. By the way, there's a, there's a group that goes through the story on Wednesday nights with Pastor Alan. Prayer meetings attached to that. Uh, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 30 and 31, it's on page 47 of your story. I do not have a slide. It says, when they heard, that's the Israelites, when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, 
When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. Would you please hear me today? The Lord is concerned about you. And He has seen your misery. Some seasons serve a greater purpose. But you need to know that He hears you and He is working for good, even though you may not be able to see it right now. So the question for you is, will you worship while you're waiting for that new season? How many of you have a family member that's been afflicted lately? Denise, y'all think Denise is just not an active member. That's not true. That's not true. Denise is serving her daughter. When she's not here, don't think she's off, you know, just traveling the globe sometimes. Sometimes. Still waiting for that pastor to come along. I just think you need spiritual advice while you're going one time. I mean, you can take either pastor. We're not going to complain. Um, but uh, most of the time, you're, you're serving somebody in your family that's been afflicted. You know, we've got more stories and testimonies here than you could imagine that sound just like that. So what do you do when you're praying for the healing and it's not coming? What do you do when, when, when the finances don't seem to be getting better, when everything seems to be squeezing tighter? You want the answer? you know that the Lord is concerned. He has not turned his back on you. That's not how the Lord works. Just because circumstances are bad doesn't mean God has left you. Or that he's, and this is the, the terrible Americanized version of Christianity, right? right? The, 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 the prosperity gospel. That means that God's lifted his blessing from your life. You know where God's blessing is? It's usually on the afflicted, brother. That's, that's, that's where it is. It's, it's not on the mansion. It's on the widow. It's on the orphan. It's on the struggler. That's where you find that blessing. And so I I just would encourage you, would you worship while you're waiting in this season? In the midst of the difficulty, would you bow down and say, God, I believe it's coming. And, and, And it may be several years until I see it, but I will worship you while I wait. Number two. Number two. I pray this message challenges you to let God fight for you. What area of your life do you need to invite God to start swinging? (laughs) What area have you been expending the most energy on? That's typically where we find the area we need to turn over. What's the one that you're just just swinging away and and trying to get after? And no matter what you do... Now, whether you're, you're throwing haymakers or you've picked up a sword, you've, you've got, you've got you know, something, and no matter what you do, it just seems like nothing happens. You're exhausted, you're focused on it, it's kind of become an idol for you. What has to happen, guys, you've you got to hear the Word of God. I am a God who wants to fight for you. I am a fighter. And when I fight, the victory is so much bigger than anything you could produce on your own and by yourself. And when I fight for you, I get the glory. And everybody in your life sees there is a living God who cares about His children. Please testify to that. Please testify to that. And some of us this morning, I fear that's where we are. And we've got to give a relationship over to God. We've got to give a dream over to God. We've got to give our anger over to God. We, we've got to give a sin over to God. Some struggle that we don't tell others about. Remember, sin doesn't say secret for long, friends. It's better to give it to God now than to keep trying to hide it. Let God fight for you. And the last one, I'll be done. I want you to go home 
knowing this in confidence, God is still our deliverer. God is still, He's still on His throne. He's still God. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still our deliverer. And for some here, maybe uh, you need to hear that because the truth is you're not a child of God yet. You're still a slave to sin. If you were to die today, sin still owns you. And unfortunately, if you die in that condition, you would be separated from the love and the goodness of God forever. Forever. But you don't have to be. You just have to have your life covered by the blood of the perfect lamb. You have to believe in God and you have to receive the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God and that when He died on the cross, that His blood covered all sinners once and for all. For all who believe, for all who call upon the name of the Lord, will be saved, the Scripture says. And so some of you here today, you just need to pray a very private prayer and just say, God, I heard that today and I don't know that I have been saved from the penalty of death. I'm afraid if the angel of death came today, there'd be great tragedy in my life forever. Would you cover me with the blood of Jesus? Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. He, he will honor that prayer. You just cry, God save me. He will do that for you. And then when we're done today, if you prayed that prayer, you come see me. I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to make you feel uncomfortable. When we're done, you come see me. You'd be shocked how many people have done that quietly here lately. You know what, Pastor? I've given my life to the Lord. It's good stuff. But you know, for some, some are Christians. But you dabbled with sin. You looked left. And you looked right. And you didn't see anybody watching. Now that sucker's got a hold of you. Sin is never content to be contained. And you're here and you're hurting because you feel like it's getting out of control, because it is, and you feel like you can't hide it anymore, you're worried about what people will think. Okay, listen. God is still our deliverer. Would you just invite him into that sin problem in your life? Say, God, I, I, ah. it, it started out, it was just a little something, now it's become this thing I can't do without, and I know it's not of you. Would you come and slay this sin for me? And he will do it every time. Every time. Would you guys pray with me this morning? God, thank you for being so good. We love you. We worship you. We pray that you have spoken to the depths of our hearts. Just in this very um, quiet moment right now, answer this simple prayer for our people. God, how are you speaking to me right now? Just let them answer that in their hearts. Let them pray that right now. God, how are you speaking to me right now? Holy Spirit, show each of us how you're doing that. We just give you these few moments to work in our hearts just for a second. God, I believe you have shown and will continue to show us throughout the week exactly what you want us to do because of this message. Don't let it go, Lord. If you've got to keep us awake at night, then you do what you've got to do so that we can get this right. You are the Lord, the great I Am. That's who you are. That's who you are. And we are your children. I pray we find great comfort in that.
Come, speak, change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.